All right, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. If I were to title this, and I think I might since I actually put it into uh, text here, the title is, For Us, Suffering Does Not Have to Be Permanent. Suffering Does Not Have to Be Permanent. Psalm 32, would you turn there, and then we'll pray, and we will dive right in. Psalm 32. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, by your mercy, you have brought us here today for this evening for your word. And so may it reign strong and powerful in our hearts. Father, may the work of the Holy Spirit uh, do that work that we need to convict, to comfort, to encourage. And Lord, may the Holy Spirit use the word today to change us to be more like Christ. Thank you for the opportunity we have to hear your word. Thank you that you are a great and powerful God, and thank you that you're a God who forgives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Often when we read a psalm, we have a little heading above the psalm next to the psalm number that tells us. And maybe it's a a psalm of David or a psalm and it will give a a time in David's life or a time in the psalmist's life. Or maybe it will say uh, of Asaph uh, for for the choir or something like that. The word we have here, if you have that beside you, is a word that means instruction. It's a word that means instruction. So Psalm 32, uh, it's a psalm of instruction. We will see that word a little later as we look at it. But a psalm of instruction. And let me just outline this. We're gonna, I'm going to do this kind of like a Bible study um, instead of point one, point two, point three. But I'm going to kind of give, walk you through how to look at this. David is going to start with a declaration. And then, from the declaration, he's going to um, walk through how he got to that point in declaration, and then he's going to close it at the end of verse 11 and bring it there. So let's start. So the first declaration is this, happy is the one whose sins are forgiven, or whose sin is forgiven. Happy is the one. Let's read verse, verse 1, Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now we know probably from uh, from time past, or maybe we just understand that blessed, uh, kind of an idea of being happy, of knowing uh, joy in that sense. And so our declaration is happy, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. I want to look at a few words here because they're important words for us to understand. Um, As we look at this, I think, as I look at these few words, I want to understand the words for sin. So important words, first of all, is sin. We understand that word as an offense toward God, uh, a wrongdoing. uh, This one is particularly a mystic of of a mark. The word transgression is there. Uh, The violation of a law or a boundary, it's stepping over the line. It's not just missing, it's stepping over that line. So there's a, there's a will there, uh, volitionally, to step over. And then the last one is iniquity that we see in these sort of verses. Iniquity is to deviate from the way, uh, to twist or to turn from the way. So this is what, um, what the psalmist is thinking about. And as he speaks this, verse 1, he says, How blessed is the one whose transgression, remember the word, the transgression, the violation of the law, is forgiven, whose sin is covered, how blessed is the man to whom God, the Lord, does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, we have a couple other words here. Let's see what these are. Forgiven. 
forgiven, covered, and the idea of not, imputed iniquity. So those are important because this forgiven carries the idea with it of being lifted or removed or to carry. To forgive someone is to carry. Here, the transgression. Happy is the one whose transgression is carried, is lifted up off of him. The second word there, covered. Whose sin is covered, conceived as being covered over or forgiven, where once it was exposed, it is now forgiven. Then to impute is to reckon or to credit or to think of in sense of charging, here particularly iniquity, and so God said, blessed is the one who's, where God does not impute or charge or reckon the iniquity. So you look at this, and you have these important words of sin and transgression and iniquity, but you have forgiveness of covering and of not imputing. Hear what God is doing here in this declaration of happy is the one whose sin is forgiven. He's saying in this term, how blessed, happy is this one whose transgression, is stepping over the line, has been lifted and carried off of him. Whose sin was once exposed, but now God has covered that sin. All the, these things are, as we see in verse 2, all of these are in Um, in connection with God the Father doing this work, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute. He doesn't charge or reckon to his account. Look at the beauty of this declaration. Because David's going to explain, and we don't know exactly when this psalm was written. Some have conjectured it's the psalm um, that maybe followed after a while Psalm 51 when David sinned with Bathsheba. But how blessed is that one. These important words to understand is that God, in his grace, forgives, covers, and does not impute. Now, now David's going to go back, and he's going to recall the time before the forgiveness. He said, when, my, when I kept silent, verse 3, about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all the day long. My body wasted away through my groaning all. So here, understand, he's being silent in this. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away with the fever heat of summer. Selah. To be silent. The silence is to be, to be dumb, to be speechless. Uh, John Goldenay in his... Um, commentary on this makes the point that in Old Testament times, those of piety, and I say that in the best light, not who are pious, but those who, who love God and serve God were, were rarely often quiet. Okay? They were either lamenting what was happening to them, or they were joyfully praising God. They really didn't sit much in silence. It was, it was the culture of this. They vocalized the lament and they vocalized the joy that God showed to them. And their voices were lifted up in praise. But he says when one was silent, there might be something of suspicion of what is going on. And here what the psalmist is saying in verse 3, there is internal anguish and silence. And that internal anguish, the anguish of the heart results in a physical reaction. There's a physical reaction to this sin inside. Look at the words he used. His body or limbs are wasting away their Decaying, or maybe we think of to, be, to atrophy, to, to waste away, that lose strength. 
He says, how? Through his groaning. That word there is it's the idea of, of screaming, of, of wailing here. And, it's, and the idea of this is it's the internal. I kept silent, but, my, but inside I am, my heart, my, my soul is, is groaning, is, is roaring within me. There's an internal battle, internal anguish going on here. So I kept silent about this. My body wasted away through that all day long. And look at the, the time, night, day and night. Day and night, what? God's hand was heavy with pressing upon that one. So you understand when this, this understanding of what David is saying is in, in the sin, because of his sin, was inside of his heart, because it was working such anguish within him, he may have been silent for his speech, but it affected his body. The suffering came out in his body, and he felt this separation or break in fellowship with God. It says the vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer, Selah. Um, when I've, I've been in Israel, um, I, we've passed by a lot of things like this on the bus. Okay? And I, I'm thinking, I don't want to be out here. 2,000 years ago without a bus, okay, without air conditioning, and, you know, now the buses have Wi-Fi. Uh, all those things, I can call for help. It's dry, and if you're away from an oasis, this is um, um, cutting through almost near the Dead Sea, near Masada, um, but there's some barren land out there. Terrible. I mean, it, you get stuck out there without water, and um, you better, better be careful. This is, this is his idea here. He says, um, my vitality, my energy was drained away as, as with the fever heat of summer. It was as if I, was, uh, I, I were in the desert and the heat was beating down upon me. And we've all been there. A couple of weeks ago, I did the, the bushes. Right? I waited until it was like you know, after 95 degrees to do it. Because you know, that makes you more of a man, I'm sure. I'm kidding. Uh, that was all the time I had. And so I, you, know, you come in and about 30 minutes later... This is pretty gross, but your shirt's all completely drenched. You're trying to find something to, you know, to wipe your eyes out of that's not wet, and you don't have anything, so you go inside real quick. Come back out because you still have more, two more hours, you know? So we're in humidity. We feel the heat, and don't let them kid you. Oh, it's a dry heat? Yeah, it's still heat, okay? It's hot, and just like it saps the energy of ourselves, as we are we're exposed to the elements. Here, here his soul... The energy of his heart and his soul has that same thing. The lesson here is this, that hidden sin cripples both body and soul. Hidden sin, because that was verse 3. Hidden sin cripples both body and soul. And he says, well, Stacey, no, I can hide my stuff and get away with it. Could be large, could be small. Right? Uh, no. It's going to come out. It's going to come out eventually. It may be come out in how you treat people. It may come out in just how you respond to things. It will come out. And he uses the word sila here is to pause or to, to hold a moment. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, whether it was crescendo or to pause, but I'm going to use this as they have interpreted as a pause because I want you to pause and think about it. Do you feel your energy, your soul, your vitality slipping away? Your life. Maybe you've been here physically, emotionally, spiritually, you are parched. It's dry and thirsty. 
and is without the soothing and cool presence of the Lord's Holy Spirit and comfort and guiding because you've pushed him away as a believer. And here it is. You know, don't overlook the pressure of God upon you. There are often times when God allows us to be tested, uh, to have the, the hand of his pressure, and a good way to the, let the adversity work on us and cause us to go to him. Sometimes it's not a sin in our life. Sometimes it's just the pressure that, that God knows that I need so that I run to Christ, as the song said. That I need him, that I need his presence, and so I run to him, the exerting of pressure. But other times it's the pressure of sin, big or small. Sometimes we allow the small things to accumulate in our heart. Oh, it's okay, we'll let that go. I didn't rob a bank, I just fill in the blank of your own sin. It compounds. It does, it grows. You know, the investment people speak of the magic of compounding interest. It seems that there's a magic of compounding interest in the heart when we allow sin to collect and accumulate. And these are times when God desires for us to come to him, and then as the psalmist says in verse 5, to do a couple of things. And here really is the response of the psalmist here. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. So remember the declaration he's saying after this now. Because of the hidden sin, the roaring inside of his heart and life, because of all of this, now he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, O God, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, the psalmist's response was to acknowledge and to confess. It really was. It was to acknowledge and to, to, to confess, to say the same thing about his sin that God said about his sin. To acknowledge, not to sugarcoat it or put it aside, but to acknowledge of what it is and to call upon God in forgi- to, for God to forgive him. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the result of that is God will forgive when you confess to him. God will forgive. That's the beautiful thing about our God. When I place this in the context of our lives now, this side of the cross, and we've seen the wonderful work that Christ has done for us in salvation, and how he suffered and died for our sin. And I look at this, and he indeed carried our sin upon himself. He bore our sin upon himself. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to think about. The bearing of our sin, this is what God did for us, and he will forgive when we come. And so we think about this. We think, have I acknowledged my sin? Have I confessed my sin? Because astonishingly, God, astonishingly, God will forgive Astonishingly in our estimation, because we don't like to forgive. But God will forgive this. He carries my sin away. Isaiah 53, 4, we think of that passage of the Messiah to come. Surely our griefs he himself bore, same, same word, as forgiven. He bore our grief. He carried 
They're another word for sorrow. You know, you and I must take responsibility for our own sin. And in taking responsibility, we go to God and confess that. We cannot long endure the noise of our heart and soul when we indeed are hiding our sin. So after this, the psalmist has an instruction, verse 6. He has instruction for us. He says, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. So he's calling out to us who are reading the psalm, those who are reading the psalms in his day and to our day. And he says, everyone, let everyone who is godly, or a committed one, a faithful one to God, pray to you in a time in which you, God, may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Now, so wait a second, how is that connected with the earlier parts? Well, he is, he's, he's coming through with a confession. He's also carrying the, the weight of the, the overwhelming weight of sin. And here, as he says in verse 6, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. It's reaching of God, but who is our God? The waters will not reach this one, because why? Here, verse 7 has to be attached to verse 6, because you are my hiding place. You, O God, preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. See what he's doing here. He's calling to those to confess, to to reach out, to call to God in verse 6. To call out, let everyone who's godly pray to you in a time. And he says, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. He's saying, this is my experience. Here's what God has done for me, that God is indeed a shelter. God is indeed a shelter, so go to him. Go to this one. It is interesting in our pride as, as believers. I'm, let me just say we're talking to believers. In our pride, we often have a trouble of going to God when we sin. Well, sometimes it's, um, I don't want to admit I messed up. I, I don't want to admit I sinned. I don't remember I transgressed, I deviated. It was like it just fell short. I crossed that line, I've twisted his words. I don't want to mention. well, doesn't he already know that? Yes, he does. Sometimes it is, we, we have a feeling or a thought of, oh, I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. It's the 1,400th time I've come back for this. I exaggerate, but not so much. You've been there. But the psalmist says, this one is a shelter Hey, this one, this God is a hiding place. He, this God is the one who preserves, so go to him. Call upon him. Cry out to him. And interestingly enough, in this psalm of this one speaking, David speaking, the psalmist, God breaks in in verse 8. And here God says, I will instruct you. So the Holy Spirit's using David as he writes. And David writes from God's voice here, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Here are the words of God. I will instruct. Remember the, the word, the type of psalm this is? I will instruct. I will teach. I will counsel I love this part here of, I will count you with my eye upon you. And that is not an eye to be feared. It's not one to, 
This is God's child that he looks upon. He looks upon with favor. He looks upon him to, to come back. He says, I will counsel you. Lord, Lord how, how, do I, how do I respond to you in sin? Well, I will counsel you, he says. I will instruct you and I will teach you. Learn of me, God says. If you learn of me, I will teach you how to live in such a way that brings glory to me. I will instruct you. And the beautiful thing is that we don't serve a God who says, all right, figure it out, make me happy. <laughs> I dare you, okay? No, that wasn't it. No, try again. This is not the God we serve. If you serve the God of the Bible, if by grace, through faith, you have been saved, you are God's child. You serve a God who instructs, who teaches, who counsels. A God who is willing. A God who is a, a, a preserver, a shelter. This one cares. This one comforts. This one counsels. So go to him. Go to, this is huge. He did not leave us to flounder in this life. When I flounder in life, it's because I am going my own way. I want to do what I want to do, and no one's going to talk me out of it. Or so I think. The God of the universe extends aid. The God of the universe of creation extends help and counsel and guidance and the personal attentiveness of his eye. So what about me? What about you? We should receive that counsel. There is an understanding here that as God counsels, as he instructs, that we receive that. That we do not put up, oh, Lord, no, I've got this, thank you. But that we receive the counsel. And this is really the heart cry of David as he writes this. Because then I love this next part, um, verse 9. Uh, do not be as a horse or a mule that has no understanding. <laughs> Don't be dumb. Don't be like a dumb animal uh, whose trappings include a bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Pretty much, don't be like the dumb animals. Okay, they got to have a bit, they got to have a bridle, and that's how you lead them along. They're not, they don't know where to go. They don't respond well. Don't be like that. As I look at this, and maybe we've had experiences, we're not as much an agrarian society as they were or Maybe our, our country was 100 years ago. So maybe you've not had a horse or, or ridden a horse in quite a while. Or, or mule. You've not plowed behind a mule. But they have their own mind, much like us. To which David brings the comparison. Don't be like that. You know, I was thinking about the pain and suffering of hidden sin in a life. I, I was thinking about this. Pain does not have to be your only teacher. You know, some people, they only learn by experience. They only learn by experience. I have a wonderful, loving brother, okay, who's nine years older than I am. But as nine years older than I am, I learned a lot from my brother. Like, I don't do that because that doesn't work out so well. Dad really doesn't like that. I learned early on that pain did not have to be my, I let him do that for me. Now, pain did, and he's, he's quite well adjusted now, okay, so uh, I love him, he loves me, and we're all good. But, you know, when you're in high school, he's in high school, and I'm, you know, as nine years, whatever that, that number is. I'll leave the math to somebody else. Um, I learned a lot. But it's remarkable how, as I get into adults, 
I don't learn from the words of Scripture. I don't learn from others' experience. I don't look at them and say, you know what? There is pain associated with sin. Maybe not physical pain. Maybe it's spiritual pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. But there is pain associated with sin. I better not do that. See, the wise one understands and learns. The wise one isn't like the dumb animals. It isn't like those who have to be guided with a, a bit. And, and there is that bit of pain. That, that's why a, a bit works in the mouth of a horse. Okay? It's sitting behind the teeth back here. And so you pull on it. It's a tender area. You don't want the horse or the mule to get the bit in his teeth because then he takes off because he's got, got you now. But back there, there's the, there's, that's what happens when, you, when a horse stops when the, the bit and the bridle, everything's all where it should be, the pain says, stop. Now, as the, the horse gets smarter, you just kind of tug on it, tap on it, and it, it stops. And hopefully we're like that. That as we see things, we begin to be wise in what God has for us in his word. We say, ah, we, we check our brakes, as it were. I'm mixing metaphors everywhere. That's fun. Uh, we, we check our brakes on the horse. Now, we, we, we tug on the reins. or Whatever it is that we see, because... We're walking wisely. We're not like the, the animals here. Don't let pain be your teacher. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Ponder that a second. Don't you know people? Believers, unbelievers, that sorrow is it's overtaken their life because of the choices that they have made. Many, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. The loving kindness, the loyal love of a faithful God. Understand the contrast that the psalmist has here. This con- contrast that, is, that really is very stark whether our minds understand that sorrow versus loving kindness. Wickedness and sorrow versus the one who trusts God. You know, it didn't say the one who actually obeys God every time and is a perfectly obedient, the one who follows after God. Loving kindness shall, shall, shall surround him. I can't talk today. I didn't get warmed up this morning. That's the problem. So the evening. I, that surrounding love of our God and care for God. This is what is the blessed hope, strength, comfort of the child of God. So the result, be glad in the Lord, in Yahweh, and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all who are upright in heart. He finishes with a charge to be glad, to be to be joyful. The charge of gladness and joy, and that comes only from God. Be glad in the Lord. Find your gladness in Him. Rejoice, righteous ones. Righteous ones, not just a label of those who do good things. That's the label of those who are God's. That's the label of those of His possession that He loves. Over and over we see in Scripture the relationship of master, of servant, of God, 
the one who loves and cares and owns, and his responsibility to his child who he loves, and the responsibility of the child to love him and to serve him. The mutual work of a God who loves and a child of God who serves that comes together and that reproduces rejoicing in the heart of the child of God. Gladness and joy comes from God. And this is the final statement he has for the psalm. And so I wonder, we read this, and we say, I don't have the joy, I don't have the gladness. Well, then check. It could be that there is hidden sin. It could be that um, you're going your own way. It could be that you're being like the animal. It could be that I am rejecting what I know to be true and kind of having my own little thing going on here. Like, I, I think it's, I think I want to I be stubborn this way. I want to take the bit in my mouth, my teeth right now, and, and go this way. Oh, it's not too far off of what God wants. It's just a little bit. And that builds and builds in the heart. Builds in the life. But joy comes to the one who finds a shelter in God. I want to encourage you. Shelter, preservation, comfort, joy are all found in God. You and I can look for joy in a lot of different places in this world. We can look for it in achievement. We can look for it in wealth. We can look for it in friends. We can look for it in family. We can look for it in, in just our hobbies and the things that make us happy. We think, oh, this is great. And then we do those for a while, and something else needs to come and make us happy because that's not so fun anymore. Our joy is in God. For the believer... A follower of Christ finds his true joy. And a follower of Christ who has the joy of God in his heart, you see it rejoices. He is not silent. She is not silent. There's joy. So my last slide, had I thought of it sooner, would be Selah. (laughs) Again, pause. Think about it. In our lives, there are things that distract us. But for the believer, there's the constant of God who loves us, who has given himself for us, and in whom all the joy that our hearts desire are found. Psalm 32. Suffering does not have to be permanent. Joy in our God. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, thank you for who you are. Father, as you have encouraged my heart and challenged me this week with this psalm, thank you that you are a God that is great, a God that is full of compassion, a God that is full of loyal, steadfast love for those who are his, a God who loved so much that he gave his only begotten son for those who are not his, that they might have eternal life if they come and place their faith and trust in God. So God, I thank you for who you are, for your love. Thank you for loving us before we ever loved you.
And thank you for keeping to constantly dis- demonstrating that love in such a way that is overwhelming to us who know you. And thank you that you comfort, that you guide. Thank you that we can come and that you do carry our sin. That you do forgive. And thank you that you cause us to rejoice. And so, Father, we, we bow before you. Lord, I pray that you do the work in our hearts that needs to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit to work, place, as it were, your finger upon the spots in our heart that need to be released to you, to be confessed, to acknowledge those, that we might have your forgiveness. Because as we're learning in 1 John, you're faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you. Thank you, our God, for your great love to us. To Christ my prayer, amen.